It's all of that stuff, right? Today feels like fall. Uh, a couple more days, it'll feel like summer again. That's just what happens in upstate New York, and we're thankful for that. Um, but uh, we're going to be moving into this new series, and it's going to be walking through the letter uh, that was written to the Ephesians. And so I'm going to give you a little bit of a background this morning on that letter, uh, a little bit of uh, how to put that letter into context. Um, but the sermon series is titled Masterpiece in Progress. When I was looking, um, when I was looking at this, uh, and this was many, many months ago, and thinking about what we would be doing in the fall, one of the things that was on my heart um, is, as I know many of you, and as I know situations that are out there in the world, um, one of the things that many of you and me and many in the world struggle with is understanding who we are in Christ, putting ourselves in a context where we recognize our value, where we recognize that the journey that we're on is not one of something that's finished, but it is truly a journey. And we are constantly in that journey. And as we gather together, as we are encouraging one another, it is important for us to put that in context, sort of to have a very biblical Christian worldview of what it means to be on that journey. Because there's a lot of things out there in the world that could help us become better people. Some of you have tried them and you know what those things are. You can go to the bookstores, you can go online, you can read all kinds of things about how to reprogram your brain and how to change habits and how to do different things and how to diet and eat right and exercise and all those things. All that's good stuff. But Paul said at some point in Corinthians, I think it's chapter 9, or, or he says it also in to Timothy, right? We just came through studying Timothy, like physical training is of some value, but it's the spiritual training that really stands the test of time. It's that work that God does inside of us. And so when we think about being masterpieces in progress, we are looking together at the idea that God has done something for us. And so I have three simple points we're going to look at today. And I'm going to break them down for you in three different slides here. The first one is God has a plan. And it includes you. You can turn to Ephesians chapter 1 if you'd like to. We're, we're not going to follow it along verse by verse. But uh, we will follow it along. We will make reference to it uh, as we move along in this service. Ephesians chapter 1. Um, how many of you enjoyed coming in this morning without stone on the ground and seeing the new concrete and the pavers out there? Anybody enjoy that? Yeah. Is Camila here this morning? Where is Camila? I don't see her this morning, but uh, Camila Ramos was the designer for that. She was our architect. And uh, when you see her, I would just love for you to acknowledge uh, that that's that beautiful design and, and it's not quite complete and that's why it makes a good sermon illustration this morning um, But when you see Camila, I want you to recognize that Camila was the designer But Camila couldn't do that work out there She had to take the design and then hand it off to a contractor and that contractor, Zaretsky and Associates, has been out there over the last two weeks and digging everything up and kind of putting in. And that contractor actually had to apply some ingenuity because there was where we had designed a couple of things that wasn't going to work. We might have 
dug down into some electric lines, for instance, or um, just the size and, and the position. And the, there's just a lot. There, there was a lot that went into it. But Camila, the designer, handed it off to Zaretsky and Associates. And together, it's starting to come together out there. And it looks nice. It, it looks so much better uh, than what we had. So if you're new today, let me just tell you that that is a vast upgrade from what we had. And we're excited about that. But God is kind of like that. God is a designer. God is a planner. And I think that that is the parallel that I'm trying to draw here for you this morning is as we get into this series, I want you to recognize that God is the ultimate designer. God is the ultimate planner. And he was planning things way before time began. We read that in Ephesians chapter 1. If you start out all the way back in um, verse 4, it says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. God had a plan. Now this statement to you might sound super simple, and I can imagine some of you have been sitting in church for all your lives. You read that statement and you're like... Tell us something new, Pastor. Like, that's a, that's a cool statement, and I get it, um, but tell us something new. And, and I'm telling you that if you read Scripture with that kind of an attitude, you probably are missing an awful lot. Because this simple statement, God has a plan, and it includes you, is profound. First of all, some of you might want to ask, and maybe you should ask, like, why did God even need a plan? God's the creator, right? He just spoke and the world came into existence and that would have been enough, right? But God had a plan before all of that because he knew that part of his plan was that you and I would be like him. And in that likeness, we would be creative. We would have the ability to think for ourselves We would have the ability to make some choices and some decisions. In fact, when he made Adam and Eve and put them in the garden, he actually brought all of the created animals to them and said, here, you name them. Like, could God not have named his own animals? Yeah, but but he gave the responsibility to Adam and Eve. That's a beautiful thing. He created Adam and Eve. And Eve to be in relationship with him to be stewards of the creation that was part of the plan and as part of the plan he also gave Adam and Eve the opportunity to look around at all that was there and to decide that they could follow his instructions in other words obedience obedience was foundationally put into the garden he told them, don't, don't eat of that one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's, it's there, it's pleasing, it's great, but don't eat of it. He gave them the opportunity to disobey. And they did. They did. They disobeyed whether it was, well, we don't even have to speculate. It was good. It was pleasing to the eye, the, the, the fruit, so to speak, or that piece there that they pulled from the tree. It was good, 
it was pleasing to the eye, and it says that it was useful. It was useful to make them more wise. How many of you would like to be more wise? If somebody came along and offered you an opportunity to be just a little bit wiser, and you knew that your primary responsibility was to be a steward over this vast creation, wouldn't your mind start working? Man, if I can just be a little bit wiser, wouldn't that be a good thing, God? And the enemy twists it around. I'm reading an interesting book called Culture Making, and in that book, Andy Crouch makes the point that in that one moment where God was was speaking life into everything and and there was creation and there was giving and there was self-service in that one moment the enemy turned everything on its head and now all of a sudden we became consumers no longer were we giving and were we sharing and were we giving of ourselves to other now we became consumers in that one moment why don't you just eat of that tree surely you won't die And they ate, they consumed. And isn't that the basis of everything else that we live with nowadays? Isn't that the basis of every commercial that you see? Isn't that the basis of every piece of advertising? Just do this, do this, it'll make you just a little bit better. It'll make you a little bit happier. Drive this car, go on this vacation, eat this or use this product. It's all about consuming to make our lives better. When you have the reference manual God gave you for how to live the most happy and joy-filled life right in front of you. Some of you are looking at it right now. And rather than trusting God, we trust in the lies that the world tells us that go all the way back to creation. So why did God need a plan? Why did God need a plan? Because he knew before time began that he was going to have to figure out how to reconcile us to him that's why it says if you read a little bit down in in ephesians chapter one there it talks about him having this plan to adopt us why would we need to be adopted he made adam and eve his children they were his children in the garden we didn't need anything more after except that when we disobeyed when we sinned we severed that relationship. So everything that came after was a product of the sin of Adam and Eve. We call it original sin. Why did God need a plan? Because we were separated from God from the beginning of time. And creation was also experiencing this separation, this groaning. No longer were we the, the wise and good stewards that God made us to be. Now we were doing things that were degrading the, the creation that God made. And God had to have a plan. The master designer had that plan. And he tells it to us right in scripture. I got a letter this week from Steph Helsden. Some of you know who she is. She recently left our church and she moved to Indiana. And uh, for some health and some economic reasons, they relocated out there. And she sent me a letter and she wanted to let you all know that they're doing okay. They're still struggling a little bit, but she wanted to say hello. But she offered this really interesting illustration. She found herself this past couple of weeks using an app, uh, a puzzle making app. It's a cool idea we were just talking about that over the summer somebody should do something so you can do jigsaw puzzles on your phone well apparently they did 
and she's been using it, and she's been doing all these like 600 and 700 piece puzzles, and as she was doing it, she finished the third one, and she finished the third one, and she was pretty happy about it, but she never even realized until after the third one, after the hard work of doing it, that there's actually this thing, this little button that she could push, and you know how when you're doing a puzzle, you always look at the box, right? You can't do a puzzle without looking at the box. Anybody? I don't, I don't think so. Anybody do a puzzle without? You have to look at the box, right? Well, apparently there's a button on the app that if you push it, it gives a very, very faint watermark onto your screen of basically the box. And so now as you're doing the jigsaw puzzle, you can look at the watermark on your screen and you can begin to place the jigsaw puzzle pieces in place. But what was interesting about that is she made the parallel to how many times in her own life she's been trying to put all the pieces together without looking at the box. And she said, how easy was it to just push that little button and whoa, there's the picture of what she's supposed to be putting together. And she said, isn't that a little bit like God, the master designer, giving us the Bible and giving us all kinds of testimonies and other things of ways that we are supposed to live this life and how many of us are trying to do it without that. We're not, tr we don't have the help, right? We're trying to make life happen on our own terms when in reality it's sitting right there and all we need is a little button to see the, you know, open up the Bible, open up the scripture. God, the master designer has showed us the plan. That's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. God has a plan. It was a necessary plan. And it includes you. Verse 13 says this, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you, were, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Amen? You were included. I was included. God has a plan and it includes you. That is the idea of our sermon series. And hopefully that gives some comfort to some of you when you wake up and you know you haven't slept enough last night. When you go to pay some bills and you know that the checking account just doesn't have the money in there. When you are in relational struggles and conflict and people are kind of like saying things that hurt you and all that... God has a plan. God has a plan for you individually. He has a plan for us as a church. Let's talk about that for a minute because the second point is this. The plan. What is the plan? He reveals it a little bit in this letter to the Ephesians. Oh, I, I should tell you, interestingly enough, some of you care about this kind of thing. It says Paul wrote this letter and it says it was written to the Ephesians. Scholars have no consensus on whether that's true. Interestingly enough, in the earliest manuscripts, it's if Ephesus doesn't appear. So this letter probably was not written specifically to the Ephesians. And most scholars think that if you read the language of Ephesians, there's a bunch of kind of ways that it's written that 
betray the fact that Paul spent two full years in Ephesus and did all kinds of fantastic things. You can go back to Acts chapter 19 and you can read about Paul's missionary journey to Ephesus and he spent all kinds of time there and there were some great things. This is the place where Paul would go around and, and the handkerchiefs, they, they just bring handkerchiefs and they just touch the handkerchief and like they would be healed. They take the handkerchief back and they'd that's the place. That was Ephesus. Imagine all that phenomenal stuff going on in Ephesus. And then there was the riot and Artemis and the temple goddess and all of that stuff's going on in Ephesus. But when you read the letter to the Ephesians, it doesn't sound like he knows them. It says, I have heard about your faith. in the." I have heard. It betrays the fact that he probably would have referenced some individuals. So for those of you that, that, that interests, this letter most likely was a letter that was written to all the churches. It was passed around and maybe probably ended up in Ephesus, which is where it ended up getting its name. And Paul's name was attributed to it. And there's some scholarly research to understand why they, they would do that. That actually is a common thing that happened in the early uh, manuscripts of the of of the letters that were going around just to give it some credibility. This is, these are Paul's words and probably maybe they were not saying that they weren't not saying that they were, there's just no consensus around that. So that's the context for this letter. This letter was written to all the churches and that's why it, it becomes so applicable to you and I. It's kind of like a Christian manifesto, if you want to call it that. And over the next few weeks, the, the first three chapters, we're going to be looking a little bit at the background, the context for this letter and then the last three chapters will get a lot more specific and we'll get into the the details and kind of how we can live this christian life so this letter holds a lot and we're pretty i'm pretty excited to work our our way through it this fall but right here in the beginning what was god's plan it says to bring unity to all things on heaven and on earth god had a plan it was a necessary plan because there was separation. And in that separation, the world kind of went doing its own business. And God was trying all the while to try and bring everything back together. And ultimately, he did that when he sent his son, Jesus Christ. But just like our outdoor project out there is not finished, like there's still a pergola we want to do and there's some planting we want to do. There's, it's an unfinished product. But you can start to see what we've been talking about for a year and a half. You can start to see there's, a, there's an image there now of what it's supposed to look like that that image, that, that's Jesus Christ. God, the master designer, sent Jesus Christ to be his image, to tell us just a little bit more about what was coming and what to expect. And ultimately now telling us this vast mystery, Paul's like, we were brought into this too. This mystery is now being revealed. It's being revealed through us that Jesus Christ was the center of the plan. This is how everything is going to be made whole again, Jesus Christ. And he is going to bring unity to all things, to all things on heaven and on earth. That is the plan that we are working towards. How many of you would love to experience unity? Do you know that one of the first messages I preached, I think it might be the first message I preached at New Hope. I wasn't pastoring. I had just come here from Chicago. And the message that I preached was unity, not uniformity. I was coming from a context that was very different. It was very diverse, very diverse to me personally, and just a very different kind of context. And 
in that context, I learned the value of diversity. Diversity and the Christian faith does not mean that we all kind of become one thing. Like that would violate the creativity of our creator. God made each and every one of us different and unique. You know, I was reading something last night, and I can't even remember the name of the book. I read too many books right now. But the bottom line, I was reading something last night. Do you know that you today, and probably already today, have put together a combination of words in a sentence that has never been spoken before ever in the history of the world? Statistically, that is possible and likely every day. Because God put in each and every one of us the ability to create. And subtly and without our knowledge, we are doing that every day. The words that I'm speaking to you right now may never have been spoken in the order and with the context that, they've, that I'm speaking them now. It doesn't make me unique or special. I'm just saying that's something profound. It lets us know that God built into us creativity. We're unique. We're special. Next week, we're going to talk about this idea of being masterpieces in progress. And for some of you, like, how could that be me? That's what this message, that's what this series is for. How could I be a masterpiece in progress? But I get ahead of myself. What was God's plan to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth? That means unity to all of our differences, unity to all of our diversity, unity, not uniformity. It doesn't mean that we're all going to be like one another. It means that we're all going to be able to get along with one another, recognize the value and the diversity in our context. And that is a challenge. Diversity and living into diversity is hard. Let me just tell you that. Hopefully you know that. Diversity is hard. And it's uncomfortable. And it's awkward. And occasionally it gets downright abusive. Because as we're trying to articulate things, as we're trying to say things about how we see the world versus the way you see the world, sometimes we use terms and we say things that hurt one another and we don't really want to hurt one another because that's not what our heart is. But the bottom line, it comes across and it it creates heartache. Because diversity is hard. It would be a lot easier to develop unity if we all thought the same way. But we would miss out on such a beautiful array of diverse perspectives and experiences and the broad range of who we are, we would miss out on all of that. And sometimes I'm like, I'd rather just miss out on it, God, because it's just hard. But when I step back and I give God some space to work in my own heart and in my own life, I'm like, okay, we can do this. We can do this. Because of Jesus Christ, the plan. Jesus Christ brings all things together, both now through his first coming and ultimately in his second coming, by working through us now to change what this world looks like now, his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven, but also preparing the way for that future kingdom, that eternal time when we will spend it with him in perfection, in his presence. That's a beautiful thing. 
God has a plan, and it includes you to bring unity to all things on heaven and on earth, and he is able to accomplish it in relationship with us. Let me just read for you from verse 17 through 19. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Know him better. It's relationship. It's relationship to know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Know. Know the hope to which he has called you. The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. He wants to know you. He wants you to know him and to know his power. He is able to accomplish his plan in Jesus Christ because of his incomparably great power. Here's what he says about the power. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. That's the power. The power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. The power that exists to transform our lives, to heal us, to change us, to forgive us, to redeem us. That power is also the same power to help us live into this new reality. To become the works of art that God has called us to be. He is able to accomplish it in relationship with us. This is just the beginning. We're going to be working our way through this letter. But I want you guys to have in your mind as we work through this letter. I want you to have in your mind that God has a plan. God has a plan and it includes you. The plan was necessary for you and I. Right? That plan was to unify us. As individuals with one another in this church, we are working hard to live that out, to bring unity in heaven and on earth one day, and he is able to accomplish it in relationship with us. We are, individually and as a church, a masterpiece in progress. Amen? We have the opportunity right now to prepare our hearts to commune with the triune God in honor of his son, Jesus Christ, and that great sacrifice that he made. So I invite you right now to take a couple of moments to prepare your hearts. I'm going to prepare the elements, and then I'll come back, and we will receive the communion elements together today. Just take some time. And respond to the Lord, whatever the Holy Spirit might be saying to you right now.